1972, Brian Burke Gaffney moved from Canada to Japan. Eventually, he settled in Nagasaki, a hilly coastal city in the south. After coming to Nagasaki, I found an old house on a hillside. He moved in, and then he noticed something odd. I could see, actually see, uh, Hashima from my hillside abode. And it was really weird because I didn't know anything about the island, but it was this angular, you know, uncannily similar to Alcatraz. Hashima, an island just shy of 16 acres, not quite as big even as Alcatraz. Nine miles off the coast and packed with gray concrete buildings jutting into the sky. And uh, I just asked some of my neighbors, you know, what's that out there? And they said it's just an abandoned island and nobody lives there now. But less than a decade before Brian moved into his house on the hill, this island was teeming with life. People lived there. They worked there. They shopped there. They went to school. They went to the movies. They had babies there. At its peak, this island was once the most densely populated place on Earth. Until, almost overnight, everyone left. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, a trip to that island outside of Brian's window, and the struggle over how to remember it. More after this. time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. The story of Hashima Island begins with coal. Towards the end of the 1800s, as Japan industrialized, developers discovered a rich coal seam at the bottom of the sea. It snaked through the area and underneath Hashima. In 1890, the Mitsubishi Corporation bought the island. You know the company today for its cars, but it began as a shipping firm and it dabbled in other industries. In the late 1800s, the company tapped into the coal underneath Hashima. At first, workers came to the island in the morning and they left in the evening. But by 1916, Mitsubishi constructed concrete buildings on the island where these workers could live. These were the first reinforced concrete buildings in all of Japan, not in Tokyo, not in Osaka, but on Hashima Island, 
in the middle of the sea. And people piled in. The island swelled to life. There was a movie theater, a school, a playground, a gym. There was a pinball parlor and a bar. There were restaurants. There was a hospital, complete with a surgical theater. There was a hairdresser, a Buddhist temple. There was even a brothel. The island became this strange, separate micro-world. A world where everything, and I mean really, literally everything, every bite of food, initially every drop of water, had to arrive on a ship from the mainland, just nine miles away. By 1959, more than 5,000 people lived on Hashima Island. 5,000 people living in concrete buildings on an island smaller than Alcatraz. It was at this point that Hashima was the most densely populated place on the planet. The island was at absolute peak capacity and at peak productivity. Coal spilled from the mines underneath Hashima, and there was plenty of it. But then, all of a sudden, no one seemed to want it anymore. Petroleum became Japan's new energy of choice, and the coal mines across Japan began to close. In January of 1974, Mitsubishi announced that the mine at Hashima Island would be closed. By the end of April, every single resident was gone. Today, it's nearly impossible to get to Hashima. The buildings are old, they are on the brink of collapse, and they're all strictly off-limits. The closest you can legally get is to take a tour boat to the edge of the island and look at the vacant skyline from an observation deck. But in the 1980s, when no one was paying much attention to Hashima, Brian Burke Gaffney was watching it from his hillside. Brian is a professor in the Faculty of Environment and Architecture at the Nagasaki Institute of Applied Science. And he specializes in cross-cultural studies and social history. And he was drawn to Hashima. He wanted to learn more about the island, about its history, which meant he had to get there. When I asked people about it, they almost always said, oh, no, there's nothing, don't, don't even bother going there, it's dangerous. You know? But uh, that uh, stimulated my curiosity, of course. And so I uh, had a friend who had a boat, and he took uh, me out there one morning. It's like visiting a ghost town. You know, you, you have buildings, uh, sidewalks, places where people were active at some time, but now are just gone. And so there's this kind of allure of abandonment, you might say. It's like a place stopped in time because there's all this paraphernalia, you know, pieces of paper and household appliances and everything that were left on there by their inhabitants. There was a movie theater and when I went to the island the first time, it was uh, it was really uh, haunting almost because you could see that uh, the you know the little booth at the front where the person uh, issued tickets and the uh, kind of scissors that the person used were still there and and went inside and you could still the screen was still there and you still had the seats and everything. There were only two telephones on the island, uh, one in the post office and one in a, in a shop. People calling out would u- usually use the post office telephone, but people calling in often called the shop. 
and ask for, you know, Tanaka-san. And so there would be a sort of a relay, Tanaka-san, Tanaka-san, Tanaka-san. And within five minutes, no matter where they were living on the island, the person would come to the telephone. Something about this picture is oddly idyllic. This kind of game of telephone where all of your neighbors play along. This small island as a safe harbor in the middle of the sea. Brian returned to Hashima several times over the years, and he spoke with many Japanese people who had lived there. And he said that the people that he spoke to generally had very fond memories of life on Hashima. One person described the island as a kind of giant family. Others called Hashima a paradise. But not everyone remembers it this way. In fact, the island has become a flashpoint in this long-standing debate between Japan and South Korea. As World War II began, and many of Japan's young men went off to fight, the Japanese government forced Korean and Chinese laborers to work on Hashima to continue extracting the coal. In 1983, one Korean worker gave a series of TV interviews and described being forced into a truck in his village, taken to Nagasaki, and shipped off to Hashima. The footage is long gone, but translated versions of the interview remain. Here's an excerpt. We Koreans were lodged in buildings on the edge of the island. Seven or eight of us were put together in a tiny room, giving each person no more than a few feet of space. The interior was filthy and falling apart. We were given uniforms like rice bags to wear and forced to begin work the morning after arrival. The mine was deep under the sea. It was excruciating, exhausting labor. Gas collected in the tunnels and the rock ceilings and walls threatened to collapse at any minute. I was convinced I would never leave the island alive. These clashing experiences came to a head when Japan applied for UNESCO status for Hashima. If a place gets named a UNESCO site, it's basically saying this is an exceptionally culturally significant place, a place worth honoring, maintaining, and remembering. For Japan, Hashima is a key site in the country's industrial revolution. But for South Korea, Hashima is significant in a very different way. South Korea objected to the bid for UNESCO status, unless Japan agreed to clearly reference what it had done and how it had treated the Korean workers. Eventually, Japan agreed. In 2015, UNESCO status was granted. But South Korea says Japan hasn't lived up to that promise. And six years after the UNESCO decision was made, the organization said it strongly regrets that Japan still hasn't followed through on representing the full history of the island. So, how should we remember a place like Hashima? It's often described as hauntingly beautiful, this incredible allure of decay, the beauty in abandonment. There are coffee table books of the island. Hashima was an inspiration for the villain's lair in the 2012 James Bond movie Skyfall. Google Maps made this splashy digital spread of the island, so you can take a virtual tour. Hashima is branded and presented as a place of intrigue, this fascinating island with this strangely magnetic pull on our imaginations. Often, though, in these depictions and remembrances of the island, its complicated history is largely absent or forgotten. 
or maybe never known in the first place. A footnote in the island's history. A blip in how we remember what happened on Hashima. But soon, it may not just be the history we're remembering. The place itself may become a memory. In so many ways, that little island uh, uh, offers a sort of a, a world in miniature of our processes and our history. As has happened with so many cities and civilizations, we rise, we build, we fight, we fall, and we fade away. The island is in a state of decay. There was a meeting here in Nagasaki uh, last year about the current state of the buildings. Scientists say that uh, they're on the verge of collapse and they could collapse at any time with the next typhoon that comes barreling down from the South China Sea. So my feeling is that uh, we're seeing it in its sort of final stages. The city of Nagasaki runs tours of Hashima. All visits to the island need to be booked via an official tour or secured with a permit. And a special thank you to Brian Burke Gaffney for telling us the story of Hashima Island. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.